Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to worship with all of you, no matter what venue you're in or if you're joining us uh, online. So glad you've chosen to worship with us uh, this weekend. I hope you had a great Easter weekend. Uh, it was certainly a, a wonderful weekend for us as a church and uh, so thankful for all that God did and God continues to do. And uh, I just wanted to say a quick word to the Christ Chapel family, those of you that call Christ Chapel home, who chose to go to one of those uh, uh, outside hours so that we could welcome the guests that you invited. Uh, thank you for doing that. You definitely did that and it helped us all have uh, great worship experiences and host uh, some of those guests for the first time. And so thank you, thank you uh, for doing that. Maybe you were one of those guests who came. I hope you had a great experience. I guess you had a good enough experience to come back, uh, which is wonderful. We're so glad that you came back. And for all of you uh, that started that 21-day journey with Jesus, so glad glad that you're on that. Please stick with it. Uh, we are praying for you as a staff and leadership uh, that, again, Jesus would come alongside you and meet you right where you are to show you that uh, he is real, he is alive. And so, so excited for what God is doing, and uh, we're going to continue to carry that momentum as we continue our series in Acts. But again, I said it was a, a great Easter weekend for all of us, really, uh, as a church family. Uh, I, I will tell you, there is an aspect of the Easter weekend, though, I'm just going to be honest with you, that, that I struggle with, and, and that is the, the Easter message. And you're like, yeah, Cody, we struggle with it too. Um, you know, we wish we didn't have to listen to it. Okay. Well, here's personally why, why I struggle with the Easter message. Not that I'm not excited for it, but the Easter outline that is printed because it is printed in a special way. And I'm bringing you guys, you're like, we don't care how the sausage is made. Okay, well, just bear with me, okay? Um, but the Easter, the outlines, because we print it in a different way, basically has to be done two weeks ahead of time. And so, so that it can, can go to print, et cetera. Now, I have plenty of time to work on all of the content in between the outline, but the outline has to, has to be done and has to be printed, which uh, for two weeks makes me incredibly insecure. I'm just being honest. Because for, for two weeks, I go, go back and I'm like, well, I should have reworded that. That should have reworded that point. And then I think about it, and you're like, well, Cody, it's even a shorter message. It was only 20 minutes, which it was, which makes me even more secure because I just go over it and over it and over it, and I, it grinds on, on me. A blessing and a privilege to do it. I don't tell you this to gain any sympathy or anything like that. I'm just telling you what, what it's like. And, and here's, here's what eventually happens by the time it gets to a day or two before I deliver that Easter message. I am thinking in my head, because I've gone over it so many times, I'm thinking, what am I even doing? <laughs> like, everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. Everybody's heard this. They are going to be bored out of their minds uh, with this message. I don't know how God can use it. I should just quit. I should just, I, you know what? I, I'm just going to go out of town. I'm just going to leave because this is pointless. I have nothing to offer. This is so uh, simple that it doesn't even make any difference. I have nothing that anybody wants. That, that's just, that's where I, and then I come into Easter. I'm like, happy Easter, you know? 
because I believe God is going to use it. But I tell you just my own personal struggle with it because I think many of you feel the same way when it comes to making disciples and reaching folks who don't know or walk with Jesus. I think many times you approach making disciples or reaching out to those who don't know Jesus going, they already know this. I don't have anything that I can offer them. Like, this is so simple. Like, this isn't going to solve all of their problems. This isn't, I'm not going to be able to answer all of their questions. I should just not talk to them. I should just leave town. I should just leave this conversation. I should just never get into this in, in any way. And those insecurities that we all struggle with, thinking that everybody's heard this before, that I don't have anything to offer, that I don't know how God is ever going to use me or ever use this message or ever use this testimony, ever use this circumstance in my life. We allow that fear and insecurity to sit us on the sidelines. And it sits us on the sidelines and it blinds us to the power that indwells us. Where we say, we don't have anything to offer, and the Holy Spirit's going, uh, I'm here. What, what, what about me? And we go, no, 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 Holy Spirit, you don't know me. Like, I just need to sit on the sideline over here. We don't have anything to offer. This is so simple. Nobody needs it. It, it, it affected me, but it's not going to affect anybody else. And we can't allow that fear and that insecurity to sideline us when it comes to making disciples and reaching those who don't know Jesus because if we allowed it to sideline us, essentially what we're doing is sidelining the Holy Spirit. And we're not gonna allow him to have his way, not only in us, but through us as well. You see, there's incredible potential to change lives that resides in you. But that will remain as potential as long as it sits on the sidelines. For it, that potential to become powerful, it needs to be put into play. We got to stand up, we got to show up, and we got to start those conversations. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. You do need a copy of the scriptures open because I'm going to be referencing some things around this passage and going back and forth to it and these verses won't come up on the screen. So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. If you're opening one of those blue Bibles, it's page 911. 911. And we're starting a new series called The Power of a Changed Life as we continue to walk through Acts. Uh, our first series in 2023 was called Empowered, where we only looked at Acts chapters 1 and 2. And we spent a lot of time just on those first two chapters. And the reason why is because we wanted to build that foundation. Because remember, Acts isn't just the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, the way that they have been empowered to be his Jesus's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's the rest of the story is how do they do that? You see, they have been indwelled, they have been empowered and united by the Holy Spirit so that they could impact the world around them. And that's what we're going to focus on this next series is how do they do that? 
They're, they've been empowered, but what is the effect of the power of a changed life on people around them? And so that's what we're going to be focusing on. So here are my three goals for this series. I'd just like to tell them to you. Um, but first, we want to illustrate what a changed life looks like. We want to illustrate. I want, I want to show you what a changed life looks like. And we get our first great example uh, today. Second, explain how a changed life presents opportunities to share about Christ. A changed life will present an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus. True, a truly changed life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna explain how that, those presentees, uh, opportunities present themselves. And then third, we wanna encourage faithfulness amidst negative reactions. Because I know that you want what's best for someone else, but someone else might not feel like that best is their best. And that might elicit or solicit a negative reaction but just keep being faithful, endure. Uh, we're going to go all, this is going to take us all the way to uh, Father's Day, and we'll get to Stephen. If you know anything about Stephen, negative reaction, okay? Uh, so that's where we're headed as we go throughout this series. So we're going to pick up right where we left off uh, after Acts chapter 2, where we talked about this newly created community uh, that ha- has come together and been united by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind you of what the, the early church was doing. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, this won't come up on the screen, but just look back at it with me because I want you to see what these early disciples were doing. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So day by day, they're going and attending the temple courts. Day by day, they're meeting together in homes. And the Lord is providing favor with those who are outside of their fellowship. And that favor is turning into addition to the fellowship. The Lord is adding to their number daily as they go to the temple and as they meet in homes together. And so what I want to do today is you now understand those activities. You'll understand as we get into this narrative why I highlighted this. What I want to do today is show you that example of what a changed life looks like and the opportunity it provides. And so we get the first uh, two goals met in this first sermon And we're going to go through Acts chapter 3, just 1 to 8 today. And I'm going to essentially do this passage in a part 1 and kind of a part 2 next week. We'll pick up on uh, some of the aspects of of what happens here. But what I want to show you today is just uh, what this changed life looks like and the opportunity it presents through two particular disciples, Peter and John, who we'll look at. And then I'm going to give you some applications. Uh, Not that you'll be able to do exactly what Peter and John do in this passage, but I do think there are some principles that apply that you and I can live out in our everyday lives. And so that's where we're headed today. So I want to look at uh, verses 1 to 5 first, where I want to show you that a changed life has a changed perspective about people. A changed life has a changed perspective about people. Changed perspective. Let's uh, just follow along with me. I want to read one to five. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate. He was placed there to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or charity. And Peter directed his gaze at this one who was begging, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. We're going to stop right there. See, a changed life has a changed perspective about people. And Peter and John are going into the temple. Now, why were they going into the temple? That's why we read Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47. Remember, they were going there to listen to the apostles' teaching. And so this is where uh, they fellowship together. So they're going into the temple, and they're going to have this divine encounter with this person who is begging for charity. Now, I just want to highlight something we talked about last time because this is a great example of making disciples while going. Do you remember how we talked about that in Acts, uh, back in our, our series that we just did a few weeks ago where we talked about making disciples? How that making is a participle, while go, make disciples while going, while you go about your life. They're just going to, to church, essentially. Let's just talk about it like it's today. They're going to church and they see this man. And this chance encounter happens. I love it. While going, this is the mindset that we should all have. While going, a changed person has a changed perspective about people. And it says that they're going during the ninth hour, which was a time of prayer. There were three specific times that they would, that Jews in that day would have gone to the temple in order to have an hour of prayer and a time of sacrifice. This particular ninth hour was the evening sacrifice, which would, I know it's, it's called the evening sacrifice. It was at three in the afternoon. Three, 3 p.m. is when it, when it would have occurred. And so they're going at this ninth hour, and they're going in through the gate called Beautiful. Now, We've talked about the, the temple and the temple courts before about where they're meeting and we don't know exactly where they were gathering. There are great arguments for uh, the gate beautiful being at different places here. I've heard great arguments for three different places here. Now the point is not what gate they went through. The point is that this person was sitting at a gate. Doesn't matter which gate. It matters that they were sitting. So just, just so you know, and we can go I'll, offline. I'll go through all the arguments with you of the different gates if you want. But a gate essentially is just a doorway. So they're entering in. This is where they come in to worship. And they see this person who is, a, it says, a lame man. He was crippled or he had this congenital condition where he could never walk. This is how he was born. And we know from Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 22, that this man was at least 40 years old. So for, for 40 years, this man has never been able to walk. And back in those days, if you couldn't walk, you couldn't work. So this, this man really could not provide for himself. He couldn't provide uh, for a family. And so friends and family would daily 
carry him to set him at this gate leading up to the temple so that he could beg, so that he could ask for alms, charity. Will you give me something? He was hoping to to get any kind of sustenance or money that anybody would throw to him on their way to the temple. Now, strategic place to go because I'm sure they're betting on people's charity as they go to worship, thinking that they'll, they'll have a more generous heart as they go to worship God. And so they'll probably throw them a few more, few more bucks. And that's what the setting is here when this lame man is sitting there begging and Peter and John come along. And it says in verses four to five, if you look back at it, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. You know, I I love this, this idea of a changed perspective about people. Because this man's life is about to be drastically changed. But this drastic change begins with not only Peter and, and John's different perspective about him, but it begins with a personal connection. This, this personal connection where they say, look at us. Now, I'm, I'm sure that um, uh, you've come across people who have been begging before, and um, you probably look at them, but as soon as someone makes eye contact with you, you shift your gaze. Like you, you probably don't do here, and hey, I don't either, okay? But it's, it's not necessarily natural for someone, that person to look at us and go, fix your eyes on me, you know? No, I've never seen anybody do that, and nor have I. But that's what Peter and John do here because they want to make a personal connection because their perspective about people has changed. And I think there's a great application, a couple of great applications just from this for us principally uh, that we need to begin thinking about. And the first one is this, that we need to see people differently. We need to see people differently. I told you in the, the Easter outline how I get all insecure. I'm like, I should have reworded that, should have reworded it. I have reworded this point multiple ways. And you go, it's so simple, I know. But I I thought at first, I could have just said, see people. Just see people. I, I, as I've studied this, I have been convicted how much I look at other things other than people when I'm around people. I mean, my phone, the clouds. I mean, just, just see people. There are people around you. People created in God's image whom God loves around you. I I also could have said, see people as people. See people as people, as valuable people. I think sometimes we see people as the the commodity or, um, you know, what they can do for us rather than a person. And, I, and I'm thinking about this when I'm thinking about this, this lame man. If you think about him, uh, he was placed at the, the temple, uh, at the, you know, the temple courts, at this gate, beautiful, 
every day for decades. Decades. And just like church, um, where you go in the same door every day or every Sunday, you oftentimes go through the same door, um, those folks going to worship at the temple would have gone through the same gates every day for the daily prayer. So much so that they would have seen this man every day. And I imagine, this is Cody's subject, uh, subjective imagination, I imagine that they saw him so much that he became less of a person and more a part of the setting. It was just, I'm walking past him. I mean, he's there so much, he's like an inanimate object. He's like a potted plant that's just there. I'm just going to walk past him like like he doesn't matter. And that's convicting for me of how often do I just walk past, I don't see people as people. You, you see people as these inanimate objects that, that just happen to be there. They're always there. And I think we've got to see people differently. And some of that just means seeing people and seeing people as people because our perspective about people should change when we've been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding that we were beggars who were saved by grace through faith. That we have been given grace and charity that we did not deserve. That someone took notice of us and said, look at me. Somebody cast their gaze on us and that's Jesus. And said, I want to have a personal connection with you. You see, when we've been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit because of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that changes our perspective about people. We see people differently. We don't just see people differently. We hear people differently. We need to hear people differently. Um, You're going to find out how they hear uh, this lame man differently. This lame man is asking for alms or charity or money uh, something that can sustain him or feed him uh, that, that day. But you know, when I think about this hearing people differently, um, it just reminds me that oftentimes in our world, uh, people don't often say what they mean. And they don't often mean what they say. There is an ocean of meaning under the surface of what people say all the time. And that it makes it really challenging for us in our culture today that communicates through sound bites and text messages. Because what we need are conversations. That, that, that's what we need. Because we, we, we don't hear these sound bites exactly the way that, that needs to be said. Uh, we don't understand the meaning. Uh, I mean, give you an example. How, how many of you have asked your spouse, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. They never mean that. (laughs) What they mean is, ask me again. Okay? I mean, Jen, I can say say various things, and she knows me well enough to, if I just start getting snippy, she'll say, are you telling me that you're hungry right now? And I'm like, actually, yes, I am, you know? See, people don't say what they mean. They don't mean, always mean what they say. And we've got, to, we've got to hear people differently and search out those conversations. But conversations take personal connections. 
And sometimes we don't want to take the time to have those conversations because it takes effort. It takes mental energy. But I want to remind you of something. I told you that this was the ninth hour, the time of the evening sacrifice, and there are actually some pretty amazing things that happen with the evening sacrifice uh, when you look through Scripture at that particular time. Uh, But one of those things that happened at the ninth hour was when Jesus gave up his life for us on the cross. It's when he gave up his spirit gave up his life. It's when he ultimately, that is the definitive point where he sacrificed himself so that we could have life. And for us to see people differently and hear people differently, that will mean self-sacrifice at the ninth hour. That will mean laying down your agenda. That will mean laying down what you feel like, what you want to talk about, all of those things. But we do it because that's what's been done for us. That's what Jesus did for us, that at the ninth hour, he laid down his life. He set aside his agenda so that he could personally connect with us because he saw us differently and he heard us differently. See, a changed life has a changed perspective about people, but a changed life also sees the potential in people. You see, this changed perspective leads to seeing the potential in other people. See, this lame man is asking for for alms like he had day in and day out for decades. And what changes is that somebody sees potential in him. That's what changed. That's what changed is somebody came alongside him that had a changed perspective about him that had been changed themselves. Look at verses six through eight says, but Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Amazing. Amazing. This is a miracle, no doubt. Now, I want to go back to something that we talked about in Acts chapter 2. I do believe that the, the sign gifts, one of the sign gifts being healing, immediate healing like is demonstrated here through Peter and John, those gifts have ceased. Those existed in the apostolic area with apostles like Peter and John, that they could do this. So I am not saying, you know, go and just go, rise up, you know. I, I, I'm, I think this was unique to that time, remember, because they are authenticating, the Holy Spirit is authenticating the message and the messenger during those times. And so I do think this is unique to Peter and John, but they make this personal connection with him, saying, look at us. And what did he expect? It says he, ex- he looked at them expecting to receive something from them. What did he expect? It's right there. Silver and gold, alms. And they say, we don't have it. But what we do have, we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. 
Now, there are a lot of connections. This is one of the reasons why I want to do this kind of in two parts where I'm going to pick this up next week because there are some connections to what Jesus did uh, back in the Gospels, and we'll cover that, uh, some of that next week. But no doubt that this is a miracle when they offer Jesus the power of Jesus and this man rises up and walks. Now, I want to be really clear that what this man had faith in was Jesus. That's what he had faith in. That's what's being offered. That he's offering this, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So he's offering Jesus to this man and he takes him up on that offer. And by faith in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, the potential healing power in Jesus, he gets up and walks. Now, as I said, I do not expect that um, any of you have the gift of healing, as I believe theologically um, and biblically that gift ceased with in the apostolic area. But I do think there are things that we can do, and I think the first one is this, that we can offer Jesus, that we can offer Jesus to people. I love what, um, what Peter says here. Um, silver and gold we do not have. But what I do have, I'll give to you. So in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I, I think this is incredibly uh, freeing for a couple reasons. And part of this is personal to me, but uh, one is I don't always have to have what somebody's asking for. Um, I wish I could give the things that people ask me for whether it's, you know, heal my marriage, fix my addiction, you know, take away this regret from the past. I wish I could do that for people. I really, really do. But I can't. I, I can't always do those things as much as I wish that I could. As much as I know Peter and John wished, maybe even days, be maybe before they, they ever came to know Christ, they were going and worshiping and they thought, you know, I wish I could help this guy. I, I, wish I, I wish I could help him beyond what I've got, but, but what, I, what I do have, we can share, which is the second thing that's encouraging to me. What I do have, I can share, and that's where we can offer Jesus. And, and you go, well, what does that mean? Man, I, I've tried to think. This, this takes a, a myriad of different ways that we can, can offer Jesus to people. I mean, you can pray for people. You can pray with people, and may I encourage you to do that? Instead of just saying, I'll pray for you, say, can I pray with you? That's a, that's a big difference. Um, you can offer to pray. You can offer to be the hands and feet of Jesus by just serving people. Maybe they need help. You can be the presence of Christ in their life just by sitting with someone. Sometimes that's all that people need is just your presence, just, I am here for you. I am going to demonstrate the heart of, of God by just being with you, just being here. You, you can offer Jesus in, in those ways. Um, I, I was talking to a buddy this week, and I, I think he did a great job offering Jesus. He was talking to a lady who was having some, some struggles with her son, and he said, hey, I just heard a sermon about X, Y, and Z. Can I send it to you? It wasn't even one of our sermons. That's fine. 
I don't care. But I, I just love that, that connection of, hey, can I, can I offer you this? This might, this might help. And I think there's one key to that, though, um, folks. Just, just hear me say this. You can only offer what you have. You can only offer what you have. This is one of the reasons why we, we emphasize being disciples in order to make disciples and reach folks who do not know or walk with Jesus. Because you can't offer something you don't have. Uh, are you walking with Jesus on a daily basis, believing in the power that he has to change your life and the power that he has that he can work through your life and you're able to offer something fresh to somebody and go, you know what, I was just praying that today. I was just reading this. I just heard this. Can I encourage you? Can I pray with you? We can offer Jesus to folks. Can't fix all the problems. And if you walk in trying to do that, one, I don't think you have an accurate perception of yourself. And second, you're going to squash what the Holy Spirit might want to do because you're going to limit what the Holy Spirit can do in that person's life. And just going in and going, God, use me. I'll offer Jesus. Silver and gold I do not have. I don't have the solution to all their problems. But what I do have, I'll give to them, and I'll offer them Jesus. Second thing that we can offer people is a hand. Offer them a hand. Verse 7. I love what it says here. After Peter says, you know, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Verse 7 says, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up. I love that. That we, that we don't, I know this might sound um, like I'm contradictory and I'm not meaning to be. I know that we don't have all the, the solutions to people's problems, but we can offer them Jesus and we can offer them a hand. We can say, and I'm going to stick with you through this. And I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to be by your side. Not taking on a savior complex, but taking on a supportive you know, context, friendship, where we say, I will be here to help you. And I love how Peter reaches down and helps him up. Now, this, this man, by faith in the name of Jesus, took his hand to demonstrate his faith and stand up, believing that in the power of Jesus he could walk. But Peter offered him a hand. And I certainly think that that is a, a part of the compassion that is shown, that he cares for him to help him up. But as I thought about this more and prayed about this passage, I was thinking, well, you know, that's just an interesting detail for Luke to add, isn't it? You know, that he, that he kind of helped him up. And I thought, where, where else do we see that? And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 14. If you remember Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus send, uh, sends his disciples out in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. You remember this? Sends them out on the Sea of Galilee um, in a boat and a storm comes up and they're super scared about the storm. They don't know what's going to happen. And these are fishermen. They shouldn't be scared of storms. They've been on the, on the boat before, but this one seems uh, particularly terrifying. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And do you remember what Peter says? Peter says, if it's you, Lord, then call me out. And Peter begins to walk on water as he walks with Jesus. But then what happens? Peter begins to doubt. 
Peter begins to be afraid and he begins to sink. And he's sinking in his own fear and his own faithlessness. And then what happens? Jesus reaches down to him and pulls him up so he doesn't drown. I just, I, I love that picture that what we're seeing Peter do now is what Jesus did for Peter earlier. <laughs> that, again, we cannot offer what we do not have. And the reason why Peter is reaching out to this person has a different perspective about a person offering him a hand, offering him Jesus, because that's what's been done for him. His life has been changed. He's been saved. He's been pulled from the muck and the mire of his own sin. He's been, he's been saved from drowning, from a helpless situation where he has no hope if Jesus doesn't reach out to him. And he's going, man, dude, I get you. I get it. I get that you're in a helpless situation. And someone reached out to me in a helpless situation. Let me reach out to you. And let me help you up. See, Peter's only doing what's been done for him, which I think is a great application for us to end on. A changed life has his power to change lives. A changed life has his power to change lives. When we are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have his power that can change people's lives around us and impact us. But as long as we sit on the sidelines, that power is only potential. We've got to go out and we've got to offer it. We've got to demonstrate it. I love, there's a, a well-known quote uh, in Christianity, but I, I think it applies here. And it says, evangelism or Christianity, you could call it disciple making, add whatever subject you want here is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. I love that. It's just, here's who changed my life, and he can change yours as well. That's the potential of a changed life. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for changing our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit when we are helpless, drowning in our own sin looking for satisfaction from scraps that the world would throw our way. But Lord, you reached out to us. You saw us differently. You heard that our needs were far deeper than what we even knew to ask for. And you raised us up by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with you, to have purpose in our lives and to have an impact in our world. And so Lord God, May you give us the faith, may you give me the faith to get over our own insecurities of our own fears and to say we might not have what the world is asking for, but we know what they need and that's you. And reach out to them and offer Jesus plain and simple. It's in his name we pray, amen.